I'd like for you this morning to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 26. <clears throat> and we want to look at the scripture where we read of the Lord's Supper and where communion really got its start. In Matthew chapter 26, I want to begin reading with verse 17, which goes like this. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? And he replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near, and I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and while they were eating, he said to them, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad, and they began to say to him one after the other, Surely not I, Lord. And Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him had he not been born. And then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. And while they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood for the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now and until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. I wonder if you've ever been sitting around a dinner table or maybe out in a restaurant in a corner booth or something with some family members or some friends, and someone brought up an embarrassing subject. I wonder if you've been around a dinner table at another time when you were talking about things in general. And your conversation was very, very light, and there was no intensity to it, and you were really enjoying each other, and you were having a great time together. And then someone brings up a very serious matter in the midst of that conversation. It takes time to adjust when that happens. No matter what the subject matter is, if someone drops something like that on you, it, it does something to that table, and... And everybody around that table all of a sudden is not sure how to answer that question or not sure how to deal with the issue, and there's a quiet. That might have been the way it was with our Lord and his disciples that night in the upper room. I am sure that there was some very embarrassing conversation following the foot washing experience that they had just been through. You remember that as they gathered around those tables, no one had had their feet washed that night as they came in, which was the custom and which was the polite thing to do and have done. And so Jesus took it upon himself and he went and he washed his disciples' feet 
And they were amazed, I'm sure, at that. And they were thinking about that even as they met around the table. And yet, that eye-opening experience may have raised a question or two. And there may have been some strained silence in the room for quite a period of time. But when you got a group of guys in a, in a ta- around a table like that, one of them is bound to speak up as time goes on and ask a question, or one of them is going to break into the quietness and talk about the weather, or he's going to talk about some friends who were there for the Passover, or he's going to talk about how the traffic is in Jerusalem or something and change the pace. But then as they get back to maybe just that very kind of fun conversation again, you see Jesus doing something because he's got something very important on his mind. He interrupts that conversation. And even though they're probably talking lightly at that point, he begins to say something very serious, and we pick it up in verse 21. He says, I'm going to tell you the truth, guys. One of you are going to betray me. And then there was that awkward silence again. And they were thinking about that, and they were wondering about that, and it really caught them off guard. And and you can imagine what the atmosphere must have been like like that. And then finally, one by one, they said, is it I, Lord? Or surely it's not me, Lord. And they were thinking about what he had said, and it it really threw them for a period of time. And, and, And I think... One of the reasons we have this story in the scriptures is because it helps us to understand what we are all about, and it helps us to understand what we are capable of, and it helps us, it helps us to begin to understand sometimes the evil that's in our lives that we just sweep under the rug and we take for granted. I'm sure when Jesus said, one of you are going to betray me, it got very personal in that room, and I'm sure nobody looked around, and I'm sure nobody tried to figure out who it was. The interesting thing is, one by one, they they say to the Lord, is it me? So you know they were really doing some self-examination. John didn't say, Lord, how about it? Is it Peter? Peter didn't say, what about Andrew? They didn't bring up their differences and maybe what they even thought of each other at all. It was all inward. And they all said, Lord, is it I? Every one of us is a mystery, even to ourselves. Maybe in anger at one point in your life you said some things that you couldn't believe you said. Maybe you've done something to get even with someone because they hurt you and and you've reflected on that over and over and over again in your life and you feel bad just because of how you responded and just how you reacted. Maybe you couldn't forgive someone for months. Sometimes it turns into years because they hurt you. Or they ignored you. 
or they did something that was disappointing to you, and you look back on it now, and you look over the months, or you look over the years, and you say, what a waste that was. Maybe there's something going on in your life right now, and nobody knows about it. But even you are beginning to think, you know, this whole thing I'm into is wrong, and there's no excuse for it. And we get to see a little bit of what's inside of each one of us. And when we begin to really look inside, and when we really get to be honest with ourselves, you see, we by nature are not much better than some of those people around us that we know are sinners. We are by nature no better than some of the hard people and some of the difficult people that are right around us. We, too, betray our Lord. The sin of Judas, in a way, is our sin, too. Judas did it with a kiss. Peter did it with profane language. The other disciples did it by running away at a crucial time in the experience of our Lord. And they ran away from Jesus Christ just at the time they needed him the most. And in our own way, we betray Christ over and over again, too. The prophet Jeremiah talked about it when he said, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Paul talked about it even after he was a Christian for some time when he came back and he said, No matter how hard I try to do what's right, I often end up doing what is wrong. And he said, I'm the chief of sinners. So our need is to ask, is there sin in my life that I need to confess? Is there anything in my life that is disappointing the Lord at this point in my life? And we need to ask that on a regular basis. And we need to ask it uh, when we're alone with ourselves so that we can really open up to the Lord and talk with him and share with him and confess the need to, to repent and to tell him how sorry we are for our sin. We need to start over and over and over again and again and again because once we get into those things, we don't just pull back and go our way, but we get so busy, we tend to go our way, and we get so busy, we tend not to really deal with that relationship and keep short accounts with our Savior and our Lord. Let me tell you a story about Bob Edens. Max Locato refers to him in some of his earlier books. Bob Edens was blind for 51 years. He couldn't see a thing. His whole world was a dark hall of just smells and sounds. And everywhere he went, he had to feel his ways through five decades of darkness. And then one day, he could see. A skilled surgeon performed a very complicated surgery on him. And when he got out of that surgery for the first time in his life, Bob Edens, imagine, Bob Edens had his sight. He had never been able to see a thing before that. He found it overwhelming. He said things like, I can't believe yellow is so yellow. But he also said red was his very favorite color. He said, I can't believe how wonderful it is to see a jet plane flying through the sky and leaving that vapor behind them. 
the trail behind them. What a sight. He loved sunrises. He loved sunsets. Everywhere he went, he kept telling people, you've had your sight all of your life. You can't believe. You, you got to know how wonderful everything is. And he's right. Those of us who have had our sight all of our lives just can't know how wonderful it is that we have a simple thing, in a sense, like sight. But Bob Edens isn't the only one who has spent a lifetime near something without ever seeing it, because almost everybody suffers from some form of blindness. We can have something right next to us, something all around us, and unless we focus in on it, we may not really see it at all, and it doesn't become a part of our lives. Think about it. You may be in a hurry to get somewhere, drive down a country road, and get so used to that road, and get so used to the focus of your life, where it's going and where you're trying to get to and so forth, that you don't see the beauty and you don't see the splendor that's all around that road. I heard someone say not too long ago, the color is just beautiful as the fall was coming last year, and... and Someone else in the room said, oh, I haven't noticed that yet. Hard to believe, but it happens. You can be near a garden and not even know the flowers that are in that garden and fail to focus on the variety and the beauty of those flowers. A man can live with a woman for a lifetime and never pause to look into her soul. You can attempt to be a good person and to be honest and morally right and yet never really see, never enter into a relationship with the author of life. You may see even what others see in him and you may hear and, and know what others say about him, but until you see him for yourselves, you really miss what Jesus Christ is all about. When Thomas saw him for the first time after, after the resurrection, he said, oh, my Lord, and it's my God. When Mary saw him, she said, I've seen the Lord. So the question this morning that we would begin with as you're going through this experience with us this morning is, I've got to ask you, have you really seen Jesus? If you've seen Jesus, then he's not a babe in a manger to you at all. No, to you this morning, then, he is the powerful, powerful son of Almighty God. If you've seen him, you know he's the savior of the world. And that brings into your life a dimension that cannot be met in any other way. If you know him, you know that he came to to save men and women from their sin, and he came to save us from ourselves, and you know that he wants to be your savior, and he wants to be your friend, and you begin to understand that he wants to live with you forever, and you begin to get the idea that really, you don't live unless you live with him forever. So if your prayer seems stale this morning, and if your faith seems weak, 
Or if your vision seems blurred and you can't find the power to face your problems, perhaps, perhaps you really haven't seen Jesus. And it's time to face him and to really see him for who he is. Maybe it's time for you to really understand he's the savior of the world and you got a bunch of sin piled up in that life of yours that need to be forgiven. And you need to come to him and ask him for that forgiveness so you can be made clean and so you can be made strong in Jesus Christ and so you can walk in this world without guilt And you can go through this world knowing that the God who created this universe had also created you and he loves you with an everlasting love, a love like no one else will ever love you as you take your journey. Maybe you need to realize that it's time for you to ask him to forgive you of your sin and to come into your life. And then you will see the majestic Lord And then you will know that he's in your heart. And then your life will begin to be different day by day, and there'll be small steps of growth going on. And then you won't be next year like you are this year. You'll be different, because Christians always change. When you get into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can't stand still. You're constantly changing, even if you're 70 or 80. Because you're always getting more from him and you're getting more out of the relationship with him. And you've got to be a person that begins to bring light to a world that's filled with darkness. And isn't that what you need? Isn't that what you're looking for? You see, our need is to ask him to forgive us and to enter into relationship with him. And maybe you've done that now and maybe you've had a tremendous experience as you've walked with Christ and you've really gotten to know him. But in a world like ours, it's awful easy to just get away from it all and get so busy and doing all the things we do and get so wrapped up and focus on things other than him that before you know it, it's been a long time since you've really sat down and talked with him. And it's been quite a while since the word of God has really meant anything to you. And it's been quite a while since you've confessed some real sin to him and asked you to forgive you. And it's quite a while since you've kept those short accounts and said, Lord, this is an area of my life that I need your help on. And if that's the case, then you need to do that. And we're going to give you the opportunity to do it this morning as we meet around this table because we're going to take some moments for silence as we serve the elements. There's a fellow by the name of Robert Donahue, Bill Donahue, that is just the neatest guy in the world. If he were here, you'd love him. Very, very sharp guy. Man's man, but yet he loves the Lord dearly. And one of the unique things he does every once in a while is when he's spending time with the Lord, and he does that daily, But when he's spending time with the Lord once in a while, he he struggles with how to talk to him. And so he gets out paper and pencil and he actually writes it down. And then he goes back from time to time and he writes those prayers, reads those prayers that he's written down. And he's got a collection of them now because 
Over and over again, they say at certain points in his life what he needs and wants to say to his Lord. When he was getting close to God one day, he said it was a fearful experience. And he wasn't sure just how to communicate, and so he put it this way, and this was one of his prayers. He said, God, I admit that sometimes I'm scared to death by your closeness, even though I long for it. And I want you to know, but I fear that when you get to know me, you may not like what you see. And yes, God, I know that you already know, and there are no secrets with you, and I guess I'm trying to figure this intimacy thing out. I need it, but sometimes I'm terrified at the thought of just being in your presence and what it might be like. So help me to remember that long before I even thought of loving you, you always and already loved me. And we're planning to send Jesus as an expression of that love for me. And please understand, I want to know you, Jesus, and I want to know your love fully, but it still feels awkward for me sometimes. It's like a blind date. Or it's like wondering what a new college roommate might be like. Or it's like the morning after the wedding when you wake up and you think, what is this person next to me like? Do I really know this person? Following you, Lord, is a mysterious adventure. But I want to know and be a part of that adventure. And I want you to help me embrace the mystery and I want you to help me to learn to return to your loving embrace over and over again. That's what we want for you. So as we go through the communion experience, it's a little bit different this morning, but we pray that you will be very open in your conversation with the Lord and there'll be a great meeting between you and your Savior, Jesus Christ, before you leave here. Let's pray and then we'll sing together. Our Father and our God, we thank you for who you are. And God, the depth between, depths between who you are and who we are is so great that sometimes we just don't understand or believe what it can be like to be your child, to be your friend, to be part of your family, to be watched and guided by you every step of the way. Sometimes we don't realize how honest we can be with you. We don't understand how, how much you love us in spite of what we sometimes are. Sometimes we don't even love ourselves, our Father, and sometimes we forget all about you for weeks at a time. And we just barely even show up for church, and that's about all we do. So, God, forgive us, and as we try to really connect with you this morning around this table, as we're being reminded through these elements of what you have done for us and how much you love us, God, speak to us and renew us. In Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.